0: The nephews or people you work with, the principles I'm about to tell you, you can apply in lots of different situations, okay? But I think for most people that do have children or grandchildren or people under them or people around them, godchildren, nieces and nephews, there's all this burden on your heart when you see them suffering or when you see them sick or when you see them going through hard times or when you see them making decisions you don't like, Right. You're like, eh. I remember um, one of my children just like, oh, I was just so mad and I was just frustrated. And I remember talking to a therapist about it, about the situation that they were in. And it all of a sudden it hit me. And I don't know if it was something the therapist said or just something like God put on my heart. But I had to recognize that my child was not a reflection of me. But it feels that way, doesn't it, right? Especially when they're little and, they're like, oh, they look just like you and this and that. And you think, like, oh, they're like me, right? And they're going to, you know, if, if, and, and for a while they mirror you, when they're, especially when they're little, right? If you say a bad word around them, they're going to go to preschool and say that bad word, right? They, they're a reflection of you. They just, they just did something you do. Or, you know, they will. their mannerisms, a lot of times, they'll mimic you when they're little, But then all of a sudden, they're 10, they're 12, they're 15, and they're doing things, and you think, they're a reflection of me. Why are they doing that? I don't want people to think I do that, because I don't do that. And all of a sudden, you have to come to this maturity in your heart and your mind that my children are not a reflection of me. They're a reflection of themselves and their own life choices, right? So as we begin to talk about, like, parenting or authority over people we have to recognize there is free will involved right what is free will well that's their decision to do what they want to do even if they don't you don't want them to do it right and that's hard sometimes because we want free will but we don't want anybody else to have free will right i want to be able to do what i want to do but i want my husband to do what i want him to do <laughs> right you do that with other people right i want to do what i want to do but my coworkers better do what i want them to do Right? You, I mean, it's not just your children. Like, you feel that way about other people. Like, we want people to do the, the right way because the way is that we think is right, though. That's the only thing. Right? It's not always necessarily um, the right thing. It's what we think the right thing is. And that's hard. So here's the thing. People are going to do what they want to do, but that doesn't mean there's not other things that are influencing why they're doing what they're doing. Does that make sense, right? I want my children to, you know, eat oranges. But everybody at school, right, are eating strawberries. And so they're bringing strawberries home. Well, I don't want you to eat strawberries. I want you to eat oranges. Well, now all of a sudden the free will's kicking in and there's other outside influences. You understand? Even though I'm only bringing oranges into the house. They can get strawberries from their friends, right? They can get strawberries from the school. They can just walk down to the store, right, and buy strawberries. So what we're going to talk today about is not only our actions towards our children, but how to pray and what other things are influencing our children. See, most of us think that as a parent, the only thing we can control is our actions towards our kids, and there's no way to control what the school's influence is or culture's influence is. But there is authority that you have over other areas of their life, and that's what I want us to understand. And I want us to make the effort to address most of us, like, honestly, we just get so busy in our day-to-day life that all of a sudden we look up five years later and then wonder why their kid is doing that. Well, for the last five years, right, they've been getting closer to the edge, closer to the edge, closer to the edge, then all of a sudden they fall off. And we're like, oh, no, what happened? Now i got to go rescue them. So, number one, parents need to be aware. That's my first, first point before we even get started. Whether or you're, you need to be aware of coworkers, or your nieces or nephews or your loved ones, whoever you're praying for, right? You need to be aware. What is going on in their life? What is something that is of concern? What is something that is going on? Are you even aware of their likes and their dislikes? Right? Gary Chapman wrote this great book, and for years we've been handing it out to engaged couples. It's called The Five Love Languages. But the reality is you can apply the five love languages to your coworkers, to your children, to your parents, to your brothers and sisters. And what is this concept? The concept is that we don't all speak the same language. We all speak different languages, okay, when it comes to love. I might say, oh, I love you. Let me give you a hug. And you might be like, "Ugh, don't touch me. And you might be like, oh, I love you. I bought you chocolate. I'll be like, ooh, thank you. Right? And then somebody else might be like, oh, I love you. I fixed the sign out front. And somebody else might be like, oh, I love you. I'm just going to spend the day with you and hang out with you. Well, what's going on? There's different love languages, right? Some of us, it's quality time. We spend time together. For other people, it's words of affirmation. They want to hear, good job. For some, it's gifts. They want to give a gift. They want to receive a gift. For others, it's the physical touch. And so, what Gary Chapman did—he's a Christian author. Uh, I think he's—I don't know if he's a pastor or a counselor—but he really, really got to the heart of the matter. Of, you know, we're Christians. We all love each other. And Jesus says to love your neighbors, you love yourself. But you can't love them in the way you want to be loved. It means nothing to them. You have to love them in the way they need to be loved. And so, again, for years, this was just placed on marriages. And so people apply that to marriage. And then people begin to realize, like, oh, my kids are all different. They all need to be loved differently. And they should all be happy that I love them the way I like to be loved. Well, I have four children and a husband, so that's five. I'll tell you what, every single person in my family has a different love language. I'm like, really, God? Like, wouldn't it be nice if, like, three of them had the same type of love language and then just a couple? It'd be a lot easier, right? Wouldn't it? But no, 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 no. I've got one that prefers gifts. I've got another one that prefers physical touch. So guess who at nighttime, when I'm sitting there watching, like, something that they don't even care about, is laying on the couch with their head, you know, leaned up against my shoulder? My kid that is physical touch. And then I've got another one that she never cuddles me, never sits next to me. But man, if I'm going to the store, can I come? Can you get me something? Right? Will you buy me a candy bar? Why? Because hers is gift-giving. I always say, if you're wondering if your child is into gift-giving, are they a hoarder? Do they have every single Christmas gift that they've ever gotten since the age of two in their room and they won't throw it away because they can tell you who bought it for them? That kid's probably gift-giving because those items now represent the love that that person had for them when they gave it to them so you've got you know all these different ways but if you're not aware of your child's love language you're not even able to invest in that child and give that child what they need and that's your first step your child needs to feel loved by you so when you get to the physical part of it which we'll talk about how do you have authority physically how do you have authority spiritually how do you have authority over their soul their relationships When you go physically and you say, hey, 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 curfew, or I'm going to take your phone, they're going to react a lot differently if they don't feel loved by you. It's interesting. You can talk to adult siblings about their childhood, and one of them will be like, oh, yeah, Dad loved us so much. And then three other ones will be like, no, he didn't. Why? Because that child has a different love language than the others. And maybe he said... um, I love you all the time, but maybe he worked all the time and he couldn't make it to the games. And so the kid that's got, like, time, right, they, they didn't feel loved. And sometimes it's the opposite. So I've literally talked to people and they'll be like, yeah, my yeah, dad really loved us. It was every single basketball game he was there, every single football game he was there, blah, blah, blah. And then you have this other kid that says, no, he didn't. He never once said I love you. What's going on? That kid is words of affirmation, and all they wanted to hear was, I'm proud of you. I love you. And they did whatever they could to try to get him to say that, or his mom to say that. Whereas the other kid, it was physical, it was time, right? It was quality time. So they felt loved because they had quality time. I, I don't know if any of you have ever read the book that we try to hand out to the um, church that never sleeps. Well, the author, Matthew Barnett, talks about how his dad came to every single wrestling meet he was ever had. How his dad would always show up and be there for him. I'm thinking, I don't go to everything my kid does. You kidding me? I don't have time to do that. How in the world does dad have time to do that? I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but this is not a competition with parents to see you know if you're there for everything. But this guy, as an adult, I mean he's in his 40's, probably pushing 50 now, he always writes about how his dad was there. Well, what is his love language? I don't even have to meet the guy in person. I know what it is. It's quality time. That's what he talks about from his childhood. But here's the question: How many kids do you have? How many people are around you? How many brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews, people that you are a part of their life? What is their love language? Most of us don't know. And, you know, sometimes it takes thinking about it and kind of learning about the love languages to kind of see, like, how is it coming out in their life? What are they doing? Um, How do they express their love to people around them? But you need to be aware of your child and their needs. You need to pay attention to your kids, right, or the people that are under your authority. Talk to them. Take them out on um you know lunch or coffee or you know go for you know a road trip with them I loved how Jesus would always take the disciples and they would walk like, okay we're gonna go from here to here and it might take them a week to get wherever they were going why because when you're on a long trip with somebody you get to know a lot about them I I love doing road trips just one-on-one with my kids when my son Matthew was about 12 13 I took him to Chicago for a long weekend I found something I thought you might be interested in, we went, we went and saw some different things. Just me and him. It was just time for just him. He he remembers that trip. For my daughter Faith, I took her down to North Carolina. I had a speaking engagement down there. Somebody paid me to come down and speak, so I just took her with me. But there's things you can do, right? Like if it's time to go camping or to go do something in the summertime, every once in a while, don't be afraid just to take one person with you. The problem is when you take a whole group, you never get any one-on-one time with that person that you want to get to know more. Listen to them. That's the big thing is listen to them. Put reminders in your phone to make it a priority, to check up on them. Hey, last week you were telling me about this. How, what's going on? What's, you know, what's new with that? Ask other people that are close to them. What's going on? Sometimes when you're in a place of authority over a person, they don't always tell you what's going on. So you have to ask somebody else, say, hey, have you talked to so-and-so lately? What's new with them? What's going on with them? The other big thing you can do if you have younger children that are on all these social media apps, this is just practical. I'm going to get through the practical and then we're going to talk about the spiritual. Um, You know, like, my kids are on some of these apps that I'm not on. And so, but my oldest son, Matthew, is on, so I'll ask him, what is Claudia posting, right? What is Wesley posting? What's going on in their life? Can you please notify me if you ever notice something that's concerning? Now, oh, Mary, you're stalking them. Oh, Mary, you're checking up on them. Oh, darn right I am. That's my job. I'm supposed to do that. Who else is going to intervene in their life and say, hey, we have to have a talk other than their mother, Right? Or their father. That is your job. Now, if I would have made the title of this the responsibility of a godly parent, nobody would have showed up. You don't want the responsibility. Well, guess what? If you want to walk in authority and you want to be a godly, biblical person and parent over your children, you're going to have to be responsible and doing some effort here to get to know them, to to check up on them, to watch over them, to, to intervene when you need to intervene. Now, it's not popular, and we can, we're can we not going to break down the cultural differences of 4,000 years ago in King David's life, right? But one of the Proverbs says that the parent who spares the rod spoils the child. Some of the versions, when they look at the original Hebrew, interpret that as it's saying, if you don't correct your children, you hate them. Right? If you don't take the time and the responsibility to find out what's going on and correct something, if you see they're going the wrong way, and correct them and discipline them, then you must hate your child because when you do it, it's out of love. Now, you know, I, my background's in child development. I've taught parenting classes. I'm not going to get into the whole beating your child with a rod. I am not saying you should beat them. I'm saying when you look at that culturally with how they discipline and how we disciplined, there's a lot of things that we can do practically here today that is much more effective than how they disciplined back then. You know, people will say to me all the time, well, my kids won't listen to me. And I'll be like, do they have a cell phone? And they'll be like, well, yeah. I'm like, take their phone away. Well, they can't take their phone away. How are they going to call me when they're at school? Guess what? Every single person around them has a cell phone. My kids all know my phone number. I have taken my children's cell phone away for weeks, sometimes months at a time. Guess what? They always call me if they need a ride. They always figure it out. Now, because of that, I've got, guess who I've got in my phone? I've got this friend's name, this friend's name, this friend's name. Why? Because they'll be calling. Me. I always ask them, if they know, whose phone are you using today? And they'll tell me. They don't realize what I'm doing. I'm programming that kid's name in there. So then, all of a sudden, two days later, when they still don't have their phone back, And all of a sudden, i got to deal with something. I can text so-and-so. Hey, so-and-so, when you see Wes after class, tell him this. Hey, when you see Claudia after class, tell him this. Hey, when you see Matthew, right? Now, Matthew's older now. I haven't taken his phone away. Reese, obviously, he's an adult now. But when he was under my house, under my roof, I'd take his phone away. And I would have his friend's numbers in my phone. If I had to give them a message, I'd just text the friend. And if they needed to call me, they would grab somebody's phone, and they'd call me. But the cell phone, once they have that cell phone, they re- most kids, not always, we call it finding their currency, finding out the way that they really, you know, something they really want, that they're willing to change their behavior to get it back. For most kids, it's their cell phone. For some of them, it's the video games, right? For other ones, maybe it's their blow dryer, right? Maybe it's, their <laughs> maybe it's the electricity to their room. Guess what, parents? You can go to your breaker box and turn off the electricity to your child's room. It's okay, right? You can take the door off the hinges, and you can go put it in your garage. They can go in the bathroom when they need to change. Privacy is not a right, right? It's a privilege, right? A cell phone is not a right. It is a privilege, right? Electricity is not a right. It is a privilege. These are different ways that you can discipline children practically. But now, what about adult kids? or kids that live far away, or, right, the nieces and nephews or the other people. Like, well, Mary, you know, I can't really check up on them. I can't really take them out. I can't do, really do whatever. You know what? You can still write them. You can still send them cards, right? You can still send little care packages. You can still text them or call them. Just because something takes a little bit more effort doesn't mean you should stop doing it. Right? You can make an effort to do this with the people in your life. Now, why, do I, why am I so big on being aware? Like, let's look at, you know, at the story of Joseph. Right? Some of you have heard of that story. Right? Joseph was one of the youngest of 12 brothers, and he got sold into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, and he ends up saving the entire um, in, uh, Israel family, Right from famine, and they end up being in Egypt. They stay too long, and they become slaves. You guys know the story. But if you go back, you find out that his older brothers sell him into slavery because of their jealousy. What was going on here? The father had a favorite. He favored the two youngest sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And he took all this time and energy and effort, and he poured it into these two. And he was not aware that the oldest ten were so jealous and upset by what was going on. So as parents, this is these stories that we hear about parents in the Bible, and we're going to look at a few more, are really good for us to look at and to reflect on and to learn from. God ended up using this bad thing. It says, What man meant for evil, Joseph says to his brothers, God used for good. But we don't have to allow evil to happen to our children and then have to pray for God to use good out of it. I mean, I do that sometimes. We all do that. Sometimes we have to pray that. But we shouldn't be the ones that's causing the evil to happen to them because we're not aware. We're not aware that this brother really hates this sibling, and we're not doing anything about it. We need to pray and get to the root of it and say, Father, help us to be a parent that is aware of what is going on in my children's lives so that was number one be aware be aware of what's going on number two once you are aware do not accept the cultural norms i hear this all the time i hear this all the time well you know mary it's normal they're teenagers they don't want to go hang out with me it's normal that when i say hey do you want to hang out friday night that they want to go with their friends it's normal right for them to act this way or hang out this way right I've had kids that you know they're going through something and and and, what, and and I learn about it and I'm like what's going on Well, that's mom everyone's doing it well you're not everyone you are not everyone and I don't have to accept it just because everybody is doing it that you're going to do that now this one's hard because some of the cultural things that you know that maybe bother me don't bother you well, that's fine I'm not raising your kids I've got God's I've been praying for him to give me wisdom and put on my heart what I need for my kids so if God puts on my heart right that she's not wearing that out of the house even though that you might let your kid wear that out of the house that's between you and God this is between me and God and my authority over my daughter and I can be like go change go put on something else right now we should not become like so anti-culture that we make our kids wear what we did in the 80s right like seriously like culture does change and styles change and so we need to i always say say yes to as much as you possibly can that way when the no comes you can really enforce it if you say no to everything they want to do well then good luck right but if i could say yes to almost everything but i can say no i don't want to see your belly button go put on a different shirt or go put an undershirt on with that, right? But be okay with the fact that it's, you know, whatever. I always say with hair, I always let my girls and my boys do as much color as they want to their hair. Why? That washes out. It'll grow out. Like, let them do whatever they want. That's temporary. It, you know, obviously within within reason. Whatever your cultural acceptance is, um, you know. And then there's other things where I'm just kind of like, eh, let's think about that. Right? So I don't know, you know, what cultural norms are, you know, good or bad for you, but just don't let somebody have a cultural excuse stop you when you are concerned. See, my big prayer as a parent is, Lord, prick my heart when it's something to be concerned about. Right? If your heart's not being pricked, if the Holy Spirit in you isn't saying, uh-uh-uh-uh. Then I'm sure, you know, don't worry about it. But if it's something in your heart that you know isn't right, there's some burden in your heart, there's a heaviness in your heart about a certain situation, don't let the excuse of, well, that's just, that's okay, everybody else is doing it, and not speak up and speak into your children's life. Sometimes you can't stop what they're doing when you're not around you, right? You can't, they free will when they get to a certain age. But you can pray about it, you can be aware of it, you can't, because a lot of times if you just think, well, that's just normal and you don't pray about it, well, then God can't intervene. Right? You have not because you ask not. He does when you ask for his help. Okay? So make a decision to do something. When you see something or you hear something, or now that you're aware and you're like, oh, what's going on, right? Maybe your child's just depressed. Well, a lot of people are depressed. Okay, well, I guess I won't do anything about it. No! If you're talking and you're aware and you know that your child's depressed, just because a lot of people get depressed doesn't mean you don't do anything. Invite them out, you know, get them tickets to something. If you know every seasonal affective disorder hits them January, February, March, and they get really down, okay, well, then maybe every March you take them on a spring break trip so they have something to look forward to. Maybe you buy them tickets to a concert. Maybe you just, you know, invite them over every Sunday night during that time to get them out of the house. You, just because you're aware of something and it's a cultural norm doesn't mean you shouldn't intercede and do something. So this, this part here in the Bible, this was a cultural norm. And Jesus even throws the cultural words in her face to see how she's going to react. I think this is really interesting. So we're here in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 21. And it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me my daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly so this parent is aware and she knows that her source of help for her daughter is through jesus so she tracks him down and she goes and asks him for help it says in verse 23 jesus did not answer his word god was silent have you ever prayed for your kids or a situation god is silent I know some of you have, because some of you have told me, I did pray about it, Mary, and nothing. I got nothing. Okay. Does that mean you quit? Does that mean God doesn't care? What does that mean? So it says here that Jesus said nothing, right? Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. This woman did not stop. Just because Jesus was silent. Jesus, this woman kept asking. She kept crying out. She kept crying out. She kept crying out. She kept to the point where the disciples were irritated about it. And they go to Jesus and they say, tell her to stop. And he's like, uh-uh. He didn't tell her to stop. God never tells us to stop asking. Jesus would tell parables about the persistent widow. So when I come to you, I prayed. I prayed for a week and nothing happened. I'll keep praying. You keep praying for that child. You keep praying for that change in that situation. I don't care how long it takes. I have been with parents who have prayed for a child for years. I remember one person I met, she'd been praying for her child for over 10 years. And I don't know how long before that she'd been praying. Because I've known her for that long. And finally, one day, she called me up and said, God answered that prayer. God just answered that prayer and she never stopped so Jesus was silent she kept asking he answered I was sent only to the Sheep of Israel what is he doing he's thrown out a cultural norm to her who are you you're not a Jew you know I'm only here to talk to the Jewish people and bring healing to the Jewish people cultural norm says I shouldn't heal you are you gonna say okay I'll accept the cultural norm nope nope she said yes it is Lord Well, no, it says here, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She didn't care that he wasn't sent to help her. She knew he was a source of help. She believed in God. She believed in the power of Jesus, and she went to him anyway. And he said, it is not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You guys are considered dogs. Like, you still think that I can help you, even though this is what culture says you are? And what does she say? She says, yes, it is, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs off of the table that fall from their master's table, right? The leftovers. So she didn't care what the cultural norm said. She didn't care how the Jewish people saw her. She still asked him for help. And then he said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her ch- daughter was healed at that moment. I love that. It was, she was healed at that moment moment but it didn't come the first time she asked so she had to keep asking it didn't come when the cultural norms were thrown in her face and say oh, this isn't right you're not going to get no i'm going to keep on asking and i love how he says it was your great faith you have great faith see when you keep asking the source you have great faith you know that he, that is the source you know that's what you need you know you need him to intercede on your behalf all right so she didn't give up I always tell people if it didn't work the first time you ask, ask again, ask again, ask again. Right? I remember one of my kids, one of the older kids, was going through a time, I could just tell they were lonely. Like you get to high school sometimes and friendships shift and change. And a lot of times people get concerned about suicide on these middle schoolers or high schoolers, right? and you know the friend group wasn't great and god kind of drew that the child away from that friend group that was going down the wrong path and i had prayed for that well now they didn't have anybody and i remember praying like lord you've got to bring somebody into their life lord you know you got to do something here you know and i'm trying to invest in this child well then all of a sudden god brought somebody different from through church a different adult like a guy in his 20s to kind of friend this person and all of a sudden there was something totally new going on. God answered it in a way I wasn't expecting. But I had to keep praying. I had to keep praying. I Pray a different way about it. Say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to answer this. But bring help to my child, right? Number three, don't listen to the negative voices. Now, this one's hard because who are you talking to? Most of us have certain people we talk to. We just talk to them out of habit. We keep going to that same person all the time, right? But you know, sometimes you need to be wise up here and say, Who are the people I talk to on a regular basis about my problems? And how many of those people are bringing life to me? And how many of them are bringing death to me? And you have to make a decision to stop talking to the certain people that bring death to you about your problems. Doesn't mean you avoid them, you don't talk to them anymore. I mean, it depends on the situation. Most of the time, though, you just need to stop giving them your heart if they're going to stomp all over it jesus talked about this he said don't cast what is precious to dogs don't give your pearls to swines, or where they will trample you right they will destroy it then they'll come after you so think about the people in your life who are you talking to who are you listening to jesus right had an opportunity i love this in the bible like all, if you read through the four gospels and highlight every story where a parent came to jesus about their child he always, he always did it. He always healed him, He always cast out the demon. He always brought uh, rescue. I love that. So we see here in Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse 18, it says, "While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, "My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live." This was what he believed, right? And he, so he came to her, him. Jesus got up and he went with him, and so did his disciples. Verse 23, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes. Now, who are these people? These were people who had come because she had died, and it was their funeral wailing and at their time of watch that they would do. He said, Go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. These would have all been the friends. These all would have been the loved ones. These would have been the close family members that would have come to wail and to mourn and to play the funeral music to usher her spirit up into paradise. And Jesus told them to leave. Why? Because he didn't want the parents listening to funeral music while he's trying to bring the child back to life. That's negative. And they laughed at him. See, when you start have a negative person in your life all the time and you say, I'm believing that my child is going to be healed or I'm believing that my child's going to get a different job or I'm believing that my child's marriage is going to be restored and they laugh at you and say, oh, that's not going to happen. That's not the voice you want in your head. That's not building up your faith. That's not the confession you want over their lives. So it says he, he turned them out, but they laughed at him. But they didn't, they didn't care that they laughed. they still kept pushing them out. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. She was healed. News of this spread through all of that region. See, that parent had to make a decision. He could have stayed in that house and listened to his friends mourn her. Or he could get out of that environment, get away from those negative voices, and he could go seek out the God that brought healing. And that's what he did. He went and he said, I'm not staying here. I'm leaving. I'm going to go find Jesus. Right? How many times do we just stay in this negative cycle of thinking about our situation rather than going, right, to the source and talking to God about it? Sometimes you need to stop talking to the people around you that are just going to be negative. Who are you talking to about the situation? Right? Are they telling you, um, Something bad and they're adding fuel to the fire, right? Or are they willing to pray with you and want something better? Okay, so what are some ways we take authority physically, right? I already talked to some of you, right? Taking the phone away, turning off the power, curfews, chores, um, you know, regular check ins physically, like taking them out for coffee or to the grocery store. Sometimes the kids just, you just need to. You know, do something practical with them, right? Hey, I'm going grocery store shopping. Who wants to go with me? Maybe let them pick out a treat, depending on their age. Like, all these different things add up that time. You physically go and you take time with them, right? What about adults? How How can I take authority with my adult children, right? For some of you, you need to stop giving them money, right? You need to... Stop, you know, like, hey, you know, if this doesn't end, if you don't call me, if you don't text me back when I text you, I'm gonna stop paying for your cell phone bill, right? Or, you know, maybe you need to start a deeper relationship with an adult child that you don't have going on. Maybe you need to say, hey, every Sunday after church, I'm gonna have a a roast dinner. Why don't you come over and have dinner with us? Or, hey, we're gonna have game night. Or, hey, we're gonna have pizza. You wanna come over on pizza night? You need to, you know, connect. There's all different ways physically you can connect with people, but it takes effort and it takes being intentional. For most of us it means scheduling it and putting reminders in our phone. Cuz you can leave here and say, "Okay, I need to make a better effort, you know, to connect with my child or to follow up and find out, "Hey, did they actually redo that paper? Is their grade actually come up?" Put a reminder in your phone to check that. You have to be intentional. Now, what about spiritual? Most of us don't even want to think about the spirit. Well, Mary, I don't want to talk about angels and demons. Why? Because they scare me. Okay, why do they scare you? That'd be kind of like if you came over to my house and there was ants all over the kitchen floor, right? And, and you said, oh, boy, it looks like you got an ant problem. I don't want to talk about the ants in my house. They scare me. Wouldn't you all think, like, why do ants scare you, Mary? Why don't, you know, I, I know fire ants can bite. I know this, I know. Well, but these aren't fire ants, and all you have to do is put some ant poison out and clean up the sugar that you spill all over by your coffee zone, right? And hello. But see, we think demons are greater than humans. We think that demons are greater than the name of Jesus because we don't know how to deal with it. It scares us, so we don't deal with it. We don't talk about it. We don't want to believe that there's any demonic influences on our children or on us. Well, today you're learning something new, and there are angels and there are demons, and the demons want to make your children's life hell. And if there was a kid on the bus making your child's life hell, you would talk to the bus driver, and then if that didn't work, you'd talk to the principal of your school. And if that didn't work, you would go talk to the superintendent, wouldn't you? You would do something about it. But yet you've got demons at home tormenting your children, and you don't want to talk about it. You don't want your pastor praying for them. You don't want to take a minute and just say, in the name of Jesus, any demonic spirit that is attacking my children, I bind you and cast you off of them right now in the name of Jesus. It's that simple. If you knew to take care of your ant problem every morning before you left for work, you had to put a drop of the ant poison on the card and then leave, wouldn't you do that every day until the ants were gone? You would. When your children were babies, every morning you got up and changed their diaper and you fed them, even though you didn't like it, even though it took 10 minutes out of your morning. But you did it because you wanted them to be clean and dry and healthy. But yet if I tell you to add to your morning prayers your children, if you're not already doing that, hello, number one. And number two, when you're done praying for them, add in there, and in the name of Jesus, any demonic spirits that are influencing my children or on them or in them, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And all you have to do is add that sentence to your morning prayers. Why not do that? He gave us authority to use his name to cast out demons. You have authority over your children. All you have to say is, in the name of Jesus, any demonic influence over them, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. You must leave them alone. Now, they might open themselves back up to it throughout the day. That's why you're going to do it again tomorrow morning. Right? And you're going to do that for a while and see if there's a change, see what's going on. Because most of the time, we don't know what's causing their issue. Is it their self-will? Are they putting themselves in physical situations and they're just choosing to do these things? Or is it a spiritual battle that's going on? It's kind of like when Jesus would heal people, right? People would come to him with sicknesses and disease. We see about a third of the time, he didn't say, you're healed in the name of Jesus. Or he didn't say, in the name of Jesus, he was Jesus. He didn't say, you're healed. About a third of the time when we read through the four Gospels, he would say, I cast out this demon in the name of Jesus. Or I cast out this demon. And they would go. So we see about a third of the time physical illness that manifests is demonic. So you can't tell me that a third of the time in your child's life, the situations they're in is not because of demonic influence. That's what we see biblically. So how how do we know what it is? Well, address both. Is it worth an extra sentence of a prayer, right? Lord, is my child depressed because they don't have friends? Bring them friends, a physical thing. But if it's demonic, in the name of Jesus, I cast off the spirit of depression or self-hatred or whatever. That's why I usually just say any and all demonic spirits. Because you might think, well, my child's depressed. It must be the spirit of suicide. But maybe it's a spirit of self-hatred. Maybe it's a spirit of jealousy. Maybe they're just so jealous their boyfriend has a new girlfriend that they're, like, making themselves sick, right? But we do know it's demonic. So we can just say, Satan, leave him alone in the name of Jesus. It's that simple. You take authority in the spirit realm. We see here in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, where this father had seen the disciples work with the same authority as Jesus. They just would use the name of Jesus, and it would work. So he went to someone first. didn't happen. He didn't just give up. He kept going until he could get healing for his child, right? When they came to the other disciples, this was Jesus, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he said. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you who is possessed by a spirit and has been robbed of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generations, Jesus replied. How long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him when the spirit saw Jesus and immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. and He fell to the ground and he rolled rolled around and foamed at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the, fo- the boy's father exclaimed, "I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief." When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, "You deaf and mute spirit," he said, "I command you, come out of him and never enter him again." See, we learn a lot about how, what we can tell the spirits to do by reading what Jesus did. Say, hey, any demonic spirits on my child right now in the name of Jesus, you must leave and you must not come back ever again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that he said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he stood up. Be consistent and persistent. Again, I like to use the ant analogy, or let's say you had mice in your house. You would be consistent and you would be persistent until you got those nasty creatures out of your house, wouldn't you? Right? You wouldn't just say, well, this is just how life is. I'm just going to let this be. I mean, some people do, but that's not healthy. That's not good. You shouldn't do that. They'll go and eat up your electrical wires. If you get mice in your house, they'll poo and pee all over everything. They'll make a huge mess. You've got to find the holes that have let them in, plug them up. You need to put out the traps, you need to put out the poison, you need to be consistent until they're gone. And if you've got demonic spirits affecting you or your children, you've got to be able to add to the end of your prayer when you pray for them in the name of Jesus any spiritual, demonic things that are happening to my children and around their life, they must leave right now in the name of Jesus. You can ask and pray like, Lord, you know, like this person I know is not good for my child, draw them away. Sour that relationship. Let them find somebody else to be interested in so they'll stop calling my daughter. Or they'll do whatever. I mean, I had I I've had like marriages where somebody will come to me and be like, Well, this person here is influencing my spouse and I'm concerned about it. I'm like, well, start praying that the Lord draws that person away. Let your, let your husband or your wife or whoever say something so stupid that this person doesn't like them anymore, right? Let somebody else find them interested, so then they'll get taken away. Pray blessing on that person. Bless them with somebody way better that's not somebody's husband, right? <laughs> somebody's wife. Draw them away, so then they'll stop influencing them. You can do that with your children. I've done that with, you know, with children, too. We've prayed that. Lord, you know, this person, this girl, this boy, I'm sure they're wonderful. Lord, bless them. May they know you. May they go to heaven when they die. But bless them with a different friend so they'll stop hanging out with my child. Intervene in the spirit. Don't be afraid of that. And the whole relationship with other people, that's the soul. That's the last part, right? These relationships, there might be people in their life that are not good. Pray the Lord draws those people away. Pray that the Lord replaces them with people that are good. Invite people into your house that you think will be a good influence on your kid, right? I've literally invited adults into my home. I remember one year we invited this couple from our church over for Easter uh, Sunday because, you know, they couldn't go home for the weekend, and they were involved in the worship team, and my son was really interested in drums. This was Matthew. Why did I invite these perfect strangers into our house on a family holiday? Why? So my son and this person could get to know each other. They went down and looked at the drum set. He showed them how to set it up properly and things like that. You need to invite people into your children's life that you know will be a good influence on them. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing people say, I don't want to invite anybody over my house. You know, my house isn't set up for that or this or that. When I first was 18 and got married, I had a house that was tiny. A tiny little house, and I would invite people over all the time. And guess what? Half the time the plaster was all torn up, and and I had carpet all ripped up in the one area. And then I had a kitchen where they didn't even have a countertop, it was just kind of all rough wood. And I had tried to paint it, then I tried like gluing a shower curtain over it, and that was all flaking up. And guess what? I didn't care what my house looked like, it wasn't about what my house looked like it was about this person sitting down and taking time to talk to this person right and so you need to bring into your family circle people that are going to be a good influence on your children and that's their soul you need to care about the relationships they have and who they're talking to and who they're looking up to pray that the Lord takes away the ones that are being a bad influence we're supposed to pray that you know the our father prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. If you're supposed to pray that for yourself, you're supposed to pray that for your kid. Lead them from temptation. Lead them away from the things that are going to take them down a wrong path. And deliver them from evil. If there's any evil going on, lead them away from it. Deliver them from that. Bring them to a whole different place. But as a parent, you have to do sometimes some physical things to bring them over, right? To bring them into that place. Invite over people that you think will be a good influence on your kid. Who cares what your house looks like? And start bringing connections. We're going to have game night. Maybe you end up sitting around the table playing euchre till 3 in the morning. Let them sit there. And sit around playing euchre for three in the morning, if you know it 's a person that's going to be a good influence on them that they need to talk to, that they need to be a part of, and age doesn 't matter. We need to stop thinking that when my kid turns eighteen they 're all on their own. You keep praying, you keep praying well my kid doesn't you know maybe they don 't talk to me anymore or maybe they move to Hawaii i don 't get to see him anymore. You still have authority over the spirit realm. you still can you know physically send them things or you know touch them through different ways you can still you know care about their soul and their relationships ask the Lord to give you wisdom how to intervene and again for those of you that do not have children maybe you're the one that's supposed to be at somebody's house playing euchre to influence their kids maybe you're supposed to be the one having a game night to have these kids over there because guess what the world wants to take them out and if you are a godly person you are a role model What did Jesus say when he was in the middle of a crowd and his mom and brothers were outside? And the disciples came to him and said, your mom and brothers are outside. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked around the room. These are my mothers. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. The Bible talks about men being father figures, mentoring the younger men. So all of you here, Know of some young person or somebody in your life that needs a mother, that needs a brother, that needs a sister, that needs somebody to take some godly authority. We talk about this whole membership thing. Now you become a, a member of the family, right? Those bags that hang there, it says now you're part of a church family. Maybe you need to be praying for your sister or your brothers here. Maybe you need to be praying for your nieces and nephews here. Maybe you need to be the one to reach out and say, "Hey, let's go have coffee sometime." Maybe you just need to add them to your prayer list and start praying. Lord, lead them from temptation. It's so easy to see what's going on in somebody else's life and talk about it and gossip and say, "Oh my gosh, did you know what so-and-so? I haven't seen So-and-so." Have you seen blah blah blah." Stop. Don't be a negative voice. Be a godly voice that loves the people around you, and that you want them to have something good going on in their life. I've told you before, sometimes it's literally drawing a line. I had a person one time walk up to me, oh, you want to hear some gossip? And I was like, no, I don't. And I turned around and walked away. I still to this day have no idea what they wanted to come up and tell me. I didn't want to know. Now, if that person would have walked up and said, hey, do you want to know how we can pray for so-and-so? I probably would have listened. I probably would have been like, how can we pray for so-and-so? And then they told me, I've been like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to add them to my prayer list. I'm going to take time every day to pray for that person. We can be godly. I love this here. Let me end with this, and then we'll have the ushers come forward. Why don't you guys come forward now and start handing out the communion? They're going to hand over the communion wafers to you. And then like, don't take it yet. Just hold it in your hands because I'm going to bless it. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, now this is actually the New Living Translation. I like this. It says, and Jesus is talking to him, and he says, and so I tell you, keep on asking. He's like, I already know you've asked once, but keep on. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and the door will be opened to you, or you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. I love this because he's saying, sometimes you can't just ask me to do something. Sometimes you need to go and open a door. Sometimes you need to go looking around. Sometimes you need to put some action into it. And we need to keep on doing that until we see some sort of change in the situation we're in. And sometimes we need to change our heart Sometimes we need to talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, I don't think this is good for my child. I'm praying. Well, what do you think? What is your perspective? All right. Let's pray over this communion. You know, we're taking this kind of deep message, and we're going to apply it to our lives. So let's first bless the communion. It says, in the name of Jesus, I consecrate this blood and juice, this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We remember pray and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So as you get your communion wafers, they're all sealed up so that way you know everything's safe and healthy. You can kind of peel off this top part and get your wafer out if you could hold on to that, and then we will have the juice here. I love how Jesus, whatever he did things, he always had a group together. They were always influencing each other. They were always hanging out together. They weren't all perfect. They didn't always get along, but they were family, and they loved each other. We see this here in Matthew chapter 26 as they gathered. I love how he says, I want you to do this to remember me, to remember what I did. See, when we use this name of Jesus, when we tell the demons to go, I've had people say, it, it can't be that simple to, to tell a demon to leave Mary. Uh, haven't you ever watched that Val Kilmer show or whatever, who is Vin Diesel, witch hunter, or spirit hunter, or demon killer? If you watch these movies on TV. Have you ever seen The Exorcist Mary? I've seen what a Catholic priest has to do to, to cast out a demon. Uh, let me tell you folks, that's Hollywood. That's not real. I remember when Todd and I were dating, some movie came, oh, it's really scary. I went there, I laughed. I said, this is like a comedy. I said, this isn't true. Just because Hollywood says demons have to have holy water squirted at them and, and a spike through the heart and, and they're going to come after you and, and make your hair fall out and all this stuff, that's not real. No, Jesus, that's why he wanted us on a regular basis to take communion, to remember that it was literally the blood that was shed when he went to the cross that now gives us the authority to use his name to tell the demons to leave. Okay? So what he did gives it authority. That name has power. And all you have to do is say, in the name of Jesus, leave. All right? So as we take this communion, and as his body comes into you that was broken for you, and his blood that was shed comes into you, I want you to remember that that's the authority, that you're remembering the authority that he gave you, and that when you use that name, when you pray, things are going to happen, and things are going to change. So in verse 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Let us take and eat. Father God, we thank you that Jesus was willing to go and have his body broken and crushed for us. As we take his body into us, we are reminded that we can use the name of Jesus and that we can walk in authority, not only for healing, but for spiritual deliverance for us and our children and our families for a thousandth generations. It says, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Father, we know that we are not perfect, that we have made mistakes, but we are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. We use the name of Jesus to make us white as snow and to walk in the authority that you have given us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I know I went way over, but... You guys were due, right? That's what happens when I'm gone for a few weeks. You get a super sermon when I come back. But I really felt like all this information needed to be delivered all at once because parenting is not just practical stuff. It's not just spiritual stuff. It's not just relational and soul issues. It's all three. So I'm going to pray for all of you, and let's pray for your children. Father God, I lift up to you this congregation and all of their children, and I ask you to bless them, give them wisdom, give them insight, bring godly voices around them to help them. May they take time, may they set alarm clocks, may they type up reminders or tape up sticky notes in their house to remind them to take a moment every day to pray for their children, to cast out anything demonic, to, to listen and hear from them and connect with them in all the different ways that they can. And we just ask you, Father God, that there will become a blessing over their lives and that there will be um, just wonderful things coming in and out of those relationships. We thank you for the authority that you've given us. Help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Don't forget that the Blessing Shop is open. And tonight will be worship night, so please make the effort to invite some of your friends or people, and um, we will see you back tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless.